The reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your sister? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men. And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to be studying this chapter, chapter 12 of the book of Genesis this morning, because we're continuing our sermon series on great Old Testament characters. And so we'll be looking at Abraham today. And Abraham is the man who's, who is referred to by the name of Abram in this chapter. His name was changed later on in the story, just so you all know. So who was Abraham? The book of Genesis doesn't really say much about him before this chapter. And our chapter comes after the stories of Noah and the flood, which we looked at last week, and the Tower of Babel. And here in this chapter, we see God making a new beginning. 
The new beginning is this plan of salvation. And the key figure in this new beginning is Abraham. And I can say without exaggeration that the whole message of the Bible is encapsulated in the first three verses of this chapter. For here we see God's promise to bless the world through Abraham. This promise is foundational to Genesis, it's foundational to the Bible, and it's foundational to the church. But why is this? Christians believe that the words, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, show God's commitment to save the world through Jesus Christ. So today we'll be looking at, briefly, three aspects of this promise of blessing. First, we'll look at Abraham, to whom the promises are made. Then we'll look at what the passage tells us about Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, in whom the promises are fulfilled. And finally, we'll consider what the passage says about us, the children of Abraham by faith in Christ. And it's a fitting subject, I might add, for a day when we've welcomed Ethan into the family of God. And so let's consider what Abraham has to show to us. So the promises take the form of a threefold command coupled with a threefold promise of blessing. In verse 1, God calls Abraham and commands him to leave his country, to leave his family, and move to a new land. So that's the threefold command. And in return for obeying this command, God makes a threefold promise, which is the, the substance of verses 2 and 3. God says, leave your country, and in compensation, I will show you a land. God says, leave your people, your tribe, and in compensation, I will make you into a great nation. God says, leave your father's house, which we might say your family or your next of kin, and in compensation, I will make you a blessing to all the people of the earth. So God promised Abraham a place, a new country, a people, a great nation, and posterity, a blessing to the whole world. This threefold promise is breathtaking in its significance. For the promise marks the birth of the people of God, which is called Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. And all believers in Christ down the ages are included in this people of God, including all who believe in Christ in this very room. And we saw in baptism today a visible sign of this membership of the covenant of the people of God. And this promise is also the chief characteristic of the people of God, where people who believe in this promise, we trust that God will fulfill it, and we obey what God commands. We believe that in Christ, all the people of the earth are blessed. So this promise may be breathtaking, but the threefold command that goes with it is difficult. Abraham was told to sever the deepest roots of his identity by leaving his country, his people, and his family. This is not easy for our genes, our personalities, our accents, our priorities, our expectations. All of these things are shaped by our social environment. You can tell from listening to me, for example, that I'm an American. But God called Abraham to leave all of that behind and follow him. And believing the promise... Abraham obeyed, and he was blessed. So Abraham sets out from Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey, and makes a 500-mile journey south to Palestine. And this is roughly the distance from Oxford to the very tip of Scotland. And Abraham makes this journey, taking his wife, his nephew, some servants, his tent, and his livestock. This would not be an easy journey to undertake today, let alone 4,000 years ago. And it was especially bold given Abraham's age. 
He was 75 years old and a childless man when he left. But Abraham believed God and believed that God would fulfill his promises, so he went. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into all the details of this story, how it plays out. Suffice it to say that Abraham's faith was tested on numerous occasions, beginning with the second half of the chapter we saw today. His, life, his faith was tested by famine, by rivalry with his nephew, by war, by his wife's barrenness, and so on. Nevertheless, Abraham continued to believe, and God rewarded him. So let's take a brief look at these three promises. First, the promise of land. From our passage, we can see that Abraham was a wanderer. In verse 6, he travels to Shechem, which is in the West Bank today. And there God says to him, to your offspring I will give this land. But Abraham didn't settle there. He moves to Bethel in verse 8. He moves to the Negev in verse 9. And in verse 10, he's found in Egypt. And the rest of the story, which continues until chapter 25, confirms that Abraham actually never owned the land he was promised. He passed through the land, but lived on it in a tent. He didn't own it. Other people, the Canaanites, owned and occupied the land. And in fact, when Abraham died, all he owned in the promised land was a tomb where he buried his wife. Otherwise, he lived in a tent as a nomad. So God promised ownership of the land to Abraham's descendants, but Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of that promise. The promise was finally fulfilled some 400 years later when God caused Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, to settle in Palestine. Just to put it in perspective, 400 years ago for us, in 1609, James Stewart was on the throne, Galileo invented the telescope, and the song Three Blind Mice was published. So that's quite a time gap. Second, the promise of a nation. Later in the story, Abraham is told that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. But when Abraham died, he had only had a few children. His two famous sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and six children with his second wife, Keturah. So Abraham was promised a nation, but when he died, he had only eight children, a large family and a remarkable one given his age, but not yet a nation. And it goes without saying that the third promise, the promise of blessing to the whole world, wasn't fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime either. So when Abraham died, old and full of years, none of God's promises had been completely fulfilled. The process leading to their fulfillment had begun, but nothing was finalized. Even so, Abraham clung to God's promises and was rewarded. Consider for a minute the outcome of Abraham's faith. Abraham's biological descendants are the Jews, and his spiritual descendants are Christians, and both groups have played major roles in human history. Abraham was indeed rewarded for his great faith, but he never saw the results. And this is actually a common occurrence for many great artists and musicians throughout history only achieve renown after their death. So that's Abraham. And when reading stories like this, I think it's important to remember that in the Bible, promises are fulfilled in two different ways. They can be fulfilled immediately and historically, or they can be filled ultimately and spiritually. In the next two weeks, as we continue our sermon series through Old Testament characters, we'll look at the immediate fulfillment of these promises in the lives of Isaac and Jacob, Abraham's son and grandson. So today, let's look at the ultimate and spiritual fulfillment of these promises in Christ. 
Now, it's clear in the New Testament that Christ is a descendant of Abraham. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 states unequivocally that in Christ all of God's promises are fulfilled. And if all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ, then this threefold promise to Abraham is fulfilled as well. The promise of land is fulfilled because all who believe in Jesus inherit the whole world, for Christ is Lord over all, as Romans 4 says. The promise of a nation is fulfilled because Abraham is the father of all who believe in Christ. And there are some two billion Christians alive in the world today. And the promise of blessing is fulfilled in Christ because Christ is the descendant in whom all the people of the earth are blessed. So the ultimate and spiritual fulfillment of God's promises are found in Christ. And what is especially noteworthy about this is fulfillment in Christ exceeds the original categories of promise. The promise of land becomes a gift of the whole world. The promise of a nation becomes a family whose members come from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And the promise of a blessing comes in the blessing of Christ now and eternal joy in the world to come. In this and in all other things, God's extravagant blessings in Christ are beyond what Abraham could even have imagined. Now, given what I've just said about the fulfillment of these promises in Christ, a question arises. How do we enter into these promises? The straightforward answer is that all who believe that Jesus is Lord share in the promises of Abraham. But what does it mean to believe that Jesus is Lord? Here it's helpful to remember the call of Abraham. Abraham was called to leave his country, his people, and his family in order to receive the promises. In some ways, Christian conversion is similar. For Christians are called to renounce their old ways, their old beliefs, and to hold Christ as primary. Holding that Jesus is Lord changes our primary identity. Rather than Chris Jones, an American citizen, I am first and foremost Chris Jones, a follower of Christ and a member of the global church. Now, this call away from the old does not mean that all Christians are literally called to leave their country and people and family behind in service for Christ. Some are, but most of us are called to serve Jesus as Lord where we stand now. All Christians, though, are called to put Christ first. And it is by believing in Jesus that Christians come to enjoy the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. So briefly, Christians enjoy the promise of land in the life of the world to come. For in heaven we inherit the unsearchable riches of Christ, who satisfies our hunger and quenches our thirst. Christians also enjoy the promise of people in the church itself. For God offers the church family its fellowship, friendship, and pastoral care to all who come to Christ. And Christians enjoy the promise of blessing through the gift of salvation. So in Christ, all three of the promises to Abraham are fulfilled, and they're fulfilled for all of us here today. Like Abraham, we don't know what the future holds. Choosing to follow God will lead us into the unknown. But trusting that God will fulfill his promises is a sure thing. God has been faithful in the past and will be so in the future. So let's recap as I close. We've seen that God made a threefold promise to Abraham and how this promise was fulfilled ultimately in Christ. 
We've also considered how the promises fulfilled in Christ are available to us all. And so I think it's clear that the three verses, the first three verses in this chapter, do indeed sum up the message of the Bible. And from all of this, a few lessons follow. First, I think we need humility and caution when we try to understand how God's promises are fulfilled. Because we don't know how or when these promises will be fulfilled. So we can't presume to instruct God on a timetable. God took his time in fulfilling his promises to Abraham. But he ultimately fulfilled them to a scale far beyond the original promise. So I think it's helpful to remember that all of God's promises will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. Secondly, we need to remember that all of God's promises are true. And so believing in him is in our best interest. Believing in God is having faith. And faith is an enduring commitment to these promises and patient obedience to God's commands. In this, Abraham is our model. He was willing to follow God even through difficult times. And his faith started the process that culminated in the ultimate blessing in Christ. And finally, we need to remember that the fulfillment of God's promises is far more glorious than we could ever have thought or imagined. God loves each one of us, and his love is generous to the point of extravagance. So if you hear a call from God, remember this story of Abraham, a simple man who responded in faith, and through him the rest of the world was blessed. But don't just remember. Respond in kind. And let's close as we pray. Lord Jesus, your grace and your glory are greater than we can imagine. Forgive us for underestimating you and grant that we may see some measure of the fulfillment of your promises. Grant that all who are here may enter into the blessing you promised to Abraham all those many years ago. Help us to hear your call and to respond in faith. For your name's sake, amen.